Well, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, and I read verses 1 through 11. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but a loneliness of mind lead each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things in the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The title of the message this morning, The Production of Unity by the Mind of Christ. The Production of Unity by the Mind of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to assemble here together. Thank you, Father, for the freedoms and the liberties that we enjoy to meet together in this manner. We pray as we uh, look at the Word of God today and, and teach and preach from it that the Spirit of God would uh, use us and open our hearts and minds to receive Thy truth. I pray that You'd help me as I preach. And I pray that you give wisdom and the, the Word of God would go forth in the power of the Spirit. And, uh, and I pray that you just give wisdom in handling the Word of God. And it might touch hearts and have, its, have Your will and way in each heart and life. For Your glory and honor we do pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You remember in the Gospel of Matthew, a lawyer asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. You know, God understands that the mind is a major battleground. It's a major battleground. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says that we're to casting down imaginations. Those, and those imaginations are thoughts hostile to the Christian faith. So we're to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Really that is what it means to be have a mind like Christ. And what Paul is referring to here as like-mindedness. The unity referred to here is, is, is to here is being is, is described as being like-minded. It means to that word like-minded means to agree together, to cherish the same views, 
to be harmonious. He describes it as having the same love, verse three or verse two, being of one accord, of one mind. So the idea of the mind, the word mind here, is to direct one's mind to a thing or to seek or strive for. It's to have this intent within yourself to, uh, uh, that will govern the habit of thoughts that expresses itself in deeds. And so the Lord here, through the Apostle Paul to the church of Philippi, is instructing the believers, you know, one of the things that they had problems with was there was some disunity in the church. In fact, this is a letter where in chapter 4 he speaks and names two women in the church. And he tells them in verse 2, I beseech Judas and I beseech Sintity, somebody said that means soon touchy, uh, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. So there was there was problems with these two women getting along, and there's probably others that have problems getting along. And so he instructs him, look, you need, to, you need to learn to have the same mind, to be like-minded, to be in unity. And I believe that he gives us in this passage several things. There's, there's, and I'm not sure if, I, if I'm going to get through all this this morning, so uh, um, I may cut this down into parts. But anyway, uh, the three main points I have, the requirements for unity, the representative of unity, which is Christ, and then the reward of unity. So the requirements for unity, and I have several subpoints under this. Uh, first of all, the basis for unity. And if you notice, he, he, he starts out with four ifs. Now, oftentimes when the Bible uses the word if, it's a rhetorical question. He's not saying, is there any consolation in God? Is there any comfort of love in Christ? He's not saying, is there? He's not asking a question. He's making a statement. It's, it's, a, it's an obvious statement. It's like a rhetorical question. It's, it's, it is one that we already know or should know the answer to. It's obvious. Yeah, so, so it's more of a statement of truth when he says, if there be therefore any consolation, any comfort of love, any bowels of mercies, or any fellowship of the spirits, uh, you know, is there any, you might say, is there any encouragement in the Word of God? Is there any incentive for living? Is there participation? That word fellowship speaks of participation, working together through with God through the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Is there any compassion or bowels and mercies it has to do with the inner feelings of man, the compassion in Christ? You know, is there any of these things in the Lord? The answer, obviously, is yes, 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 yes. So he's not asking a question. He's making a statement that since you are in Christ, these things ought to be part of your life. That's the idea here. The word consolation means encouragement. And so we might ask, is there any, you know, it, since there's encouragement in Christ, you know, we can find encouraging words in the Word of God. The Word of God gives us hope. It gives us encouragement, inspires us to not give up. Titus 2.11 through 15 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. There's, there's encouragement there. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and world lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, purify unto Himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And so there is consolation in Christ. There is comfort of love. The idea here is of 
speaks of an, a persuasive address or an incentive. And Paul here, you might say there's incentives all throughout the Bible, but even in this book, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says this, being confident of this very thing, that he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians, don't give up on God. There is a purpose for living. There is incentive living that God, what God has begun in you, He's going to continue to do in your life. He will continue to work in your life. There's words of, you know, in chapter 21, verse 26, He says, For to me live is Christ, to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I choose, I shall choose I what not. For I am a straight betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for all your furtherance and joy of faith. So, so there's, Paul had this, Paul was saying here, you know, I want to continue to be in this world for your benefit. I, I'm going to continue in this world. You know, to go with me to Christ would be better, but I want to continue to be in this world for your benefit. I have an incentive for being here. This is not about me. This is about thee. You know, this words come when you speak of comfort of love. So it's, it's encouraging words, comforting words, uh, words in, in, that give us incentive and encourage us in our living. As Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And so these things are the basis for unity. There's, he talks about is there fellowship of the Spirit. That word fellowship, again, has to be share, sharing with one anything or participation. We talked about that working together and laboring together in the gospel last Sunday. And so that's the idea here. And, of course, Paul in chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, again talks about how he was participating with, the Spirit was working through him. He says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through the prayer, your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And so he had this participation that he knew he was participating in the work of God, with God, in the work of God, and that God was working in his life, and he had this witness of the Spirit, this fellowship of the Spirit with him, the Spirit bearing witness that what he was doing was for the Lord. And pleasing to the Lord. And that He would strengthen me. See, it's the Spirit that's with me. He is for me. He will strengthen me. He will provide for me. And that was the presence of the Spirit of God in the life of Paul. He also speaks of bowels and mercies. It speaks of affection or sympathy or compassion. And again, in verse 24 of chapter 1, he says, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. You know, he cared more for them than his own safety and well-being. Than, than he, he cared more for them than just going to be with the Lord. Or how it looked. You know, he's in jail. And to much of the world, it looks, to many people, Christians, it, it's a reproach. You know, he wrote Timothy later on and said that, that many were ashamed of his chains. But, you know, Paul didn't care about his appearance, what it looked like. He was more concerned about those believers at Philippi and those he ministered to than his own 
presence and appearance. You know, do our words give hope? Do they give incentive of encouragement to others? Are they spoken with compassion? You know, somebody has said, quote, unity is more than a doctrinal consideration. Unity seldom comes from mechanical insistence upon strict doctrine. But true doctrine with consolation, comfort, fellowship, and compassion. You know, not only must have we must have we must have true doctrine. We ought to seek to have true doctrine, but it has to be balanced with love and compassion. We don't want to be the first church of the iceberg patched by Jack Frost. You know, having our doctrine clear as ice but twice as cold. And so Paul is challenging us here to be like-minded, to have compassion, to be to have the fellowship of the Spirit and, and the comfort of love in Christ. And he, and, he, and he gives us three things that, that uh, 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 will help us with this, uh, that produce this like-mindedness in us. In verse 2, he says, Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, and here's how you do it. Having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. He's going to break that further down in the next few verses, but as we think about it, the same love, we ought to have a love for the preeminence of Christ, that Christ ought to be preeminent in our lives, in everything we do. A love for His Word. It's not just enough, as we heard in Sunday school this morning, it's not just enough to have good intentions and good motive and pure motives. We need, to do, we need to be in obedience to the Word of God. He that loveth me keepeth my words, Jesus said, John chapter 16, 14. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And so we now have the mind of Christ. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You might say love others as yourself. That's what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as yourself. Would you say to your others what you would say? Would you say to yourself what you say to others? So often what I've seen is people more worried about what, what they are, about their image than demonstrating love. No, we're to have the same love for others as for yourself. You, you, would you talk to the, the Lord the way you talk to them, to your wife, to your husband? So we're to have the same love, one for another. We're to be of one, one accord. Now, this is the only, this Greek word for that's translated here, one accord, is one word, it's two words to put together. It's the only time it's used in the entire New Testament. It's made up of two words, means, the first one is sin, or to, S-Y-N, means together with, and the second word is psychosis. And it has the idea of the soul, the self, the inner life, or the seat of the feelings, desires, and affections. So we're to have the same, the same affections, same desires. That's what he's talking about here. He says of one accord. So the, the word refers to being united in spirit or harmonious. Again, speaks of unity. And Paul desired that the Philippians and the desires of us that we be united in our affection, one in Christ in all our desires, that God would be glorified in our lives. And then, he, you, you know, it's, it's really... 
there's there's words here that use a similar, but he's doing it. You know, God doesn't repeat himself, just take up space in the scriptures. He's emphasizing something very strongly. And then he says, of one mind. That's very simply, that's very similar to one accord. One mind, or to think alike. You know, if you will put on the mind of Christ, you know what's going to happen? You're going to start thinking alike. You're going to start thinking alike. You're going to see the same things as wrong and the same things as right. You're going to start merging in your thinking. Paul talked about this quite often in his letters. In Romans 15, 6, he says that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you. You be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. You know, of course, they had these divisions. One saying, I follow Peter, and one say, I follow Paul, and one Apollos, and one Christ. You know, there was all these differences of opinions. And he said, no, you, be, you need to be at the, speak the same thing. You need to be at the same mind. 1 Corinthians 2.16, For we have none in the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct them, but we have the mind of Christ. And Romans 12.2 tells us that we're to be transformed. Our life, we're to be transformed. That means changed from the inside out. How? By the renewing of our minds. And the way you renew your mind is to saturate it with the Word of God. To renew it day by day. Paul tells us in Corinthians, though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Day by day. So we're to have the same or one love or one devotion or one affection or feelings for or of one mind. You know, in Colossians chapter 3, when he wrote the church at Colossae in verses 2 and 3, he says, Set your affections on things above, not on things in the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. You know, when a man or woman is dead, they don't have their own affections they don't have their own will. The, dead is, the will is dead. They have the affections for God. Their affections are set on God. The devotion. And this is the way. This is the path to unity in a church, in a home. So that's the basis for unity. And under notice the basis of conduct for unity. We find that in verses 3 to 4. And there's and there's two things I want to notice here. One's there's a negative and there's a positive. And that's often the way it is. That's the way it is in life. You know, there's always a negative and a positive. Both are necessary. Let's look at the negative first. Verses three and four. And there's two things. He says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. That's the negative. Look not, verse four, look not every man on his own things. So I think that's the other negative. So let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The word strife here speaks of self-promoting or putting oneself forward. You know, it denotes, and this is very popular, this is, I shouldn't say popular, it's common in our world today. It denotes a self-seeking pursuit of political office by unfair means. Don't that sound familiar? 
or unscrupulous means. In other words, I don't care how I get it, just so I get promoted. And it's all about me. Myself and I, you know. The miserable three. And so, he, he says, no. Let nothing, nothing be done through strife. Or vainglory. The word, the word vainglory means groundless self-esteem. It's empty pride. You know, you puff yourself up. And, it, 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 it's, you know, it's, it's a big bubble that's about to be busted. Uh, you know, like a balloon that's about to get poked. Empty pride. And then he says, in verse 4, look not every man on his own things. So we're not look on our own things. We don't have to worry about how it looks for us. You know, it, we ought to be concerned about what it is. We're not worried about how it looks. Paul, Paul wasn't worried about how it looked for him sitting in prison. What he was concerned about was, am I doing the will of God? Am I, do I have the mind of Christ? Am I holding fast to the truth? Am I, am I, am I encouraging others in their walk with the Lord? Am I giving myself, my life in service to others? Comforting them, encouraging them, uh, uh, you know, challenging them in, in their walk with the Lord. Is, is that what I'm doing? That's what he was concerned about. He wasn't concerned about whether he was sitting in jail and how it looked to him. Because, you know, there were those, he says in verse, verses, uh, chapter one, that, you know, were, were, were preaching out of envy and strife and some of, uh, uh, strife and goodwill. So there were those who were, who were looking down on Paul being in prison. You know, that didn't matter. It ought not to matter. It's not important. It's not important what it looks like. We're not to seek strife or vainglory. Not to worry about what it looks like. You know, there's there's coming a time very soon where we're gonna be we're gonna be made to look bad. We're gonna made to be looked like the troublemakers. They accused Jesus of being a fornicator, being born of fornication. They they accused him of eating with publicans and sinners. Did he eat with publicans and sinners? Yes, he did. Was there anything wrong with it? No. But according to them, there was. See, they're, they're going to accuse us of being unloving. They're already accusing us of being unloving to uh, 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 to different races of people. But when you go out and witness, do you make sure that the house is, has white people in it before you knock on the door? I never have. I've never discriminated what color of people were when I knocked on the door. I gave the gospel to whoever answered it. But you know, the time's coming when they're going to say, there's no color people in your church. And you're discriminating. But you know what? See, it doesn't matter what it looks like. 
What matters is what it is. Notice the second thing here we see is the positive in verse 3 again. Notice the last half of the verse. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now the word lowliness, you know, it's kind of self-descriptive, I think, but it says to have a humble opinion of oneself. A deep sense of one's littleness. You know, Paul could have boasted. In fact, he, when he wrote to the, what was it, uh, to, to uh, actually, I think it's Philippians here. Yeah, he talks about his, his credentials in chapter 3. We're going to see that in a few weeks. And he says, I do count them, but done. All the things that were gained to me, I counted, but loss. See, that Saul of Tarsus who thought he was somebody going somewhere, he really realized he wasn't when he met the Lord Jesus Christ in the road to Damascus, he realized he wasn't anything. Loneliness of mind. Again, Ephesians chapter 4, in verses 1 through 3, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. In chapter 3, of Colossians in verse 12, he would write to the church of Colossae, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved. You know, we are special to God. But he says, put on bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long-suffering. You know, we're not any better than anyone else out there in the world. We don't deserve anything any better than the rest of the world. We just been, have received of the blessings of God. But it's not of us. In Romans 12, 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. So loneliness of mind. And he says in verse 4 again, uh, verse 3, so we have loneliness of mind, and then he says, let each esteem other better than themselves. In other words, we're to consider or think of others better than ourselves. You know, this goes back to loving your neighbor as yourself. See, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you'll think no better of yourself than you think of your neighbor. You would not do to your neighbor any different than you would do for yourself. And no man never hateth his own flesh, the Bible tells us. And then he says in verse 4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we're going to be considerate of others and, and caring and have compassion for others. You know, these are the things that create a spirit of unity. You know, I read one time about a couple that went to a party or a fellowship. His wife had made a pie, but she had burned it a little. And was embarrassed about her burnt pie. But she had nothing else to take, so she took it. 
So to save the, the wife's humiliation, the husband embarrassed himself and ate the whole pie because he declared he loved his wife's pies. Now that's esteeming others better than yourself. J. Edgar Hoover said this, quote, he was, for those younger than I that don't know who J. Edgar Hoover was, he was the FBI director for many years, very good FBI director. Anyway, he said this, quote, through many years of active public life and through observing many kinds of people, I have found that the strongest, most competent, and reliable man is the one who is the first to admit his own inadequacy. Contradictory though it may seem, he is strong because he is humble and always remembers that man is a creation of God. To trust in the Lord with all thine heart is a mark of strength. It is the only path to true fulfillment. Unquote. Humility is a strength. It's not a weakness. Lowliness of mind is a strength. Not a weakness. And so that's the requirements for unity. Notice, that, secondly, the representation of unity in verses 5 through 8. It says, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought not robbery equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, he says, let this mind be in you, which was the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ, from what we understand from this passage of Scripture and from other passages of Scripture, that the mind of Christ was in unity or in harmony with the Father. John 8, 29 uh, yeah, he that has sent me is with me, the Father that hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now, let me ask you a few questions uh, considering these four verses. Did Christ seek to promote himself? Was he in one mind or one accord with the Father? Did he think of himself? Or did he esteem others better than himself? Again, it says, verse 7, But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant. He didn't even come as a nobleman. And because of that, many didn't like him. He came as a servant. I mean, can you imagine the Son of God appearing in our church and then, you know, saying, tell you what, let's have a banquet tonight. And I want you to all sit down. I'm going to fix a nice meal. I'm going to serve all you. And you'd be saying, wait a minute. Something's backwards here. 
the Son of God, serving me? But you know, you remember when he was getting ready to go to the cross, in John chapter 13, he sits down with his disciples to give them the last instructions. And they all sat down. And you know, the custom was in those days, when you walked, it was dirt roads, you didn't drive on blacktop and cars, so that you walked on dirt roads and you got your feet dirty. And so there was often a servant at the door, a servant there, who would go around or at the door wash your feet as you came in. Now that was a the low, you know, on the bottom of the totem pole position to, to hold. It's a servant that did that. And I can imagine disciples all walking in the door and saying, and looking at the bowl, and saying, no, I don't, I don't want to be the guy that does that. They all walk by it. But Jesus takes the bowl, girds himself with a towel, and goes around and washes all the disciples' feet. And then he said, as I have done to you, this is what you need to do. Of course, you need to be, you need, you need to serve, not sit down to be served. If you're going to serve me, you must serve. You must serve. If you want to lead others, it means you serve. You know, we've lost that in our, our government today. A lot of the government officials think they're there to gain and to promote themselves. No, it's not about what you get. It's about what you give. He wasn't humiliated by that. You know, the disciples, they didn't want to do it because that would have been embarrassing. That would be humiliating. That means I'm stooping down to, to serve all of the others, and I don't want to do that. Jesus said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm not too proud to do it. See, he was not humiliated by anything that was done to him because he had already humbled himself. He had humbled his heart for God. He made himself of no reputation. Being found in fashion, he humbled himself. Even to the death of the cross. Now we get embarrassed or humiliated because we're proud. Because we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I remember the time you know, I started leading singing from a father-in-law. And, you know, I really didn't I, didn't, I didn't know anything about music really then, but I could carry a tune. I mean, he can't carry a tune to save his soul, you know. And so I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing. He said, well, at least you can sing. I can't. So, well, okay. So I did that for a few weeks and just thought, oh, I ain't anything to this. I can handle this. So, Sunday night I get up to lead the singing and I'm trying to, and the 
this lady was playing the organ, and I had trouble following the organ. I didn't have trouble following the piano, but I had trouble keeping time with the organ. Maybe it was her playing. I don't know. You know, surely it couldn't have been me. But anyway, and, and you know, and I had trouble, and I, and I got out of time. And, of course, I was highly embarrassed and thought, I can't do this. We had a missionary speaker, and he preached that night on Jonah the Quitter. So I never did tell the pastor I was going to quit, although I was prepared to until that missionary you know, ruined it all for me. But anyway, you know, why was I embarrassed? Why was I humiliated? Pride. Pride. See, Christ didn't have pride. He humbled himself. He didn't think of himself. He thought of us. He thought of us. Then I want you to notice, thirdly, the reward for unity. And I am almost done. Verses 9 through 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the one who was or is not self-seeking, who esteemed others, that is us, better than himself, is now exalted. He has been, he is promoted to honor. He is highly regarded. He is appreciated. He is revered. He is respected. You know, everybody wants to be appreciated. Everybody wants to be honored. Everybody wants to be respected. But many don't know what it requires to get honor and respect. Honor and respect is not given to those who who, who coerce and manipulate their way to the top. People hate them. They have no respect for it. It's not given to those that seek it, but is received by those who give it to others. How do you, how do you have friends? What's the Bible say? If you're going to have friends, you have to have to do what? You have to show yourself friendly. Okay. If you want to have respect and honor, you know what you have to do. You have to show respect and honor. And to do that requires that you not honor yourself. You don't promote yourself. You don't seek. You're not seeking. It's not like you're going out there and trying to get everyone to honor and respect you. No, you're you're just just you're just you're just seeking their welfare and their best interest. And and what is right for them. You know, that also means that you won't that you won't compromise the truth to give them something they want that is wrong. You know, if you capitulate to the world as a Christian, the world doesn't respect you.
They just see your Christianity as not real. You see, this is what Jesus Christ did for us. He did not come seeking honor. He did not come seeking exaltation. In fact, in John chapter 8, verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. In John 12, 26, If a man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If a man serve me, him will my father honor. See, honor comes through service. Exaltation comes through service. Service. James 4, 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. If you lift yourself up, you know what God's going to do? He's going to take you down. First Peter 5, 5 and 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. That's, you know, it's like being thoroughly in, uh, covered or entrenched with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. The story is told that during the Middle Ages, there was a lord who was sick and facing death. So he called for a servant and asked him, What must I do to go to heaven? The servant said, Go to the pigsty, or the pig pen. Get on your knees in the muck and the mire and pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord said, I can't do that. The servant left. Well, sickness grew more severe. So he sent for the servant again and asked again, What did you say I had to do to go to heaven? And he said, you must go to the pigsty and get on your knees in the muck and the mire and pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Lord thought a little bit and he said, I will do it. The servant smiled and said, you don't really have to do it. You just have to be willing. In other words, you have to humble yourself. Have to humble yourself. See, it's all about a mindset. Having the mind of Christ. Are we willing to humble ourselves? Are we willing to submit ourselves to the Lord? To submit ourselves to serve one another? Are we looking on the things of others? Are we here to get? Or are we here to give? Jesus came to give, not to get. And because he gave, he got. So what is your mind this morning? What is your attitude? Have you humbled yourself before the Lord? Have you submitted yourself to Him or submitted your life to Him? 
Do you or are you seeking the mind of Christ? Is this mind in you?